You guys, I think I lost count. I think you won. Oh, <laughs> I definitely got like three, well, you maybe got or two, four. Two of the color, uh, yeah. flavors. I got two yeah. of the flavor flavors. Okay, it's a tie. <laughs> I'm All happy. Right. You so know they what? Both won. Shot in the dark, 2002, guys, and I won it. I'm gonna buy a lottery ticket job. when I go home today. <laughs> so that is all about Taiwan beer. Hope you enjoyed our Taiwan trivia. RTI, exercise for your mind. What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? The Taipei area is chock full of museums. The National Palace Museum and National Taiwan Museum are sure to feature in any guidebook, as will some quirkier spots like the Suho Paper Museum or the Jiufen Gold Museum. But not all of Taipei's great collections are advertised. Some are hidden in completely unremarkable buildings, the sorts of places that people pass by every day without realizing there's anything worth stopping to look at inside. National Taiwan University's Museum of Anthropology is a good example. It's one of a number of interesting but barely visited displays hidden across campus. The objects on display don't change much, but I like to go there from time to time to check in on them. My latest visit was this week, and so today I'd like to take this opportunity to let you in on this small but beautiful exhibit hall showcasing the rich variety of Taiwan's first peoples. The university has had a lot of time to build up this collection. The entrance to the museum tells you that the Department of Ethnology here, the ancestor of today's Department of Anthropology, was set up in 1928. During this era, Taiwan was under Japanese rule. Indigenous ways of life, especially in Taiwan's rugged mountains and remote east coast, were at this point still thriving. And many of the museum's 10,000 objects, photographs, and pieces of archival records date from the Japanese period. Not all of this is displayed, of course. The museum is, after all, just one big hall. But what is on display gives a great overview of Taiwan's indigenous cultures, from clothing and lifestyles to everyday objects and objects of deep cultural significance. Back in the day, Japanese ethnographers took it upon themselves to classify Taiwan's indigenous people into big groups, even though, for the people themselves, something like the village or community would have been the main unit of life. Today, after splits and additions, there are 16 official groups recognized by the government, though a number of other groups with indigenous ancestry are still pushing to be recognized too. The museum introduces these peoples in a somewhat random way, so we're going to go through from north to south, meeting the groups in each area, and then finish up with the still unrecognized groups that are still pushing for official status today. One group that's really widespread all over the interior, from north to center to east, is the Atayal. Two other groups, the Taruku on the east coast and the Sidik in the center, have since broken away from the Atayal, but all three of these groups share many cultural similarities. 
Their men hunt, while women weave fabulous textiles. These three groups also have facial tattoos that follow a similar structure. Men who are deemed good enough at hunting to become adults get a vertical stripe on the forehead and another on the chin, while women who are good enough at weaving to be considered adults get a vertical stripe on the forehead and a V or U-shaped tattoo surrounding their lips and covering their cheeks. The groups also follow strict codes of conduct, called Gaga in a Tayal dialect, or Gaya in Turuku. Beautiful clothing, with whites, blacks, and reds in different patterns, feature prominently in the exhibits on these three groups. A common pattern in a tile clothing is diamonds, said to represent the eyes of the ancestors. In a small corner of hill country, in Taiwan's northwest, live the Saishyat, a group with a material culture that's taken on influences from its neighbors, but remain distinct. In today's Taiwan, the Saishat people are best known for a special festival, the Pasta Ai, held once every two years, with an especially big event every ten years. This festival commemorates a race of dwarf spirits that once lived with the Saishat, before conflict broke out between them and the dwarves were killed. There are a number of objects, including special clothes worn for this ceremony, on display. In the very heart of Taiwan, around the shores of Sun Moon Lake, live the Thao, a very small group that was only recognized in 2001. These people believe their ancestors chased a white deer to their present home on the lakeshore. As people of the lake, they are extremely skilled fishers, able to use a variety of techniques such as poisoning the fish, angling, spearing, trapping, and a technique called floating island entrapment to make sure they bring in a good haul. These days, tourism and outsiders have flooded their land, and today, Thao canoes, like the one made of a log on display here, are rarities, not really seen much outside of museums like this one. Throughout Taiwan's high central mountains live the Bunun. This central mountain people has some clothing on display, but one of the most striking features about its culture is their carved wooden calendar, a ritual guide to the events of the year carved into a slab of wood with hieroglyph-like characters. The Bunun occupy some of Taiwan's highest lands, and their communities are among the most widely dispersed. The Zhou are also mountain people. They live around Alishan, a famous mountain in the rugged interior of Taiwan's southwest. They wear distinctive red, black, and brown clothing, made of red cloth and leather, and Zhou men wear great bird feathers in their hats. Hunting and leather-making are men's jobs, the museum tells us, with hunting among the Zhou a way of gaining social status. The men of a Zhou community share a kuba, or men's house, a structure that women are not allowed to enter. Classified along with the Zhou until very recently are two other groups, the Kanakanavu and Tla'alua. Neither of these two groups can understand the Zhou language, and they live off to the south, in mountains quite a distance away from Alishan. Their customs are quite different, too. The Hla'alua, in particular, have a ritual involving the worship of sacred shells. But until 2014, the Zhou, Kanakanavu, and Hla'alua were all, for some reason, lumped together as just the Zhou. Now on to the East Coast, home to the Amis. This is Taiwan's biggest indigenous group in terms of population. They're notable for having a matrilineal society. Their women are skilled clay workers, while their men are classified into groups based on their age. These age groups serve important functions within the village. Not shown, unfortunately, are objects belonging to two other peoples that once lived among the Amis, and even hid among them. 
These are the Kavalan and Sakizaya, both groups that were once attacked by Imperial Chinese soldiers and fled to live among the Amis. They still live in the same area along the East Coast, and have since reclaimed their place among the officially recognized groups in their own right. On the southeast coast live the Puyuma, or Pinayumayan. They too have age groups for their men, and the exhibit on them highlights how the importation of outside cloth has influenced the design of their traditional clothing. Living along Taiwan's southern edge are the Paiwan and Rukai, who unlike the other groups have social ranks like aristocrats that you can distinguish by their clothing. Generally though, everyone wears black clothes embroidered with orange, green, and yellow beads. Knives, heirloom clay pots, and certain beads are considered priceless among these two groups. Carving is a fantastic skill of these two peoples, and there are lots of wooden examples of human figures and doorposts from the homes of these groups in particular. Finally, there's the Dao, who live off of Taiwan proper on Orchid Island. Their fabulously painted canoes, carved in designs that belong to the family like trademarked logos, are often appropriated as symbols of Taiwan as a whole. Dao women cultivate water taro, and men traditionally fished. Flying fish caught from the Pacific are especially important, with taboos spelling out who could eat what fish based on age. Finally today, we're looking at the so-called Plains Aborigines, a wide range of people who live along Taiwan's lowland west and north, and go by group names such as Katagalan, Taukas, Kahabu, Paze, Siraya, Makatao, Taivuan, or something else. These people have been more heavily influenced by outside cultures, especially Chinese culture, because their lands were the first places that outsiders came to. A number of people who belong to these groups still keep some measure of traditional culture alive, and several of them have been pushing for years to get recognition from the government. Displays show that they have at least a cloth-weaving tradition to claim this status. There's so much to see here. In addition to displays on individual groups, you'll find rows and rows of glass cases, where you can compare carving, musical instruments, body ornaments, tattooing equipment, and cloth. There are also great freestanding examples of Paiwan carving and sculpture, significant human figures that once stood outside homes, for instance. There are boats, rich examples of weaving and beadwork, a wealth of objects crammed into a single hall that you will have to yourself if you visit. The roads outside may be crowded, but I've never seen anyone other than a single attendant here. It's a marvelous secret collection showcasing the rich variety of Taiwan's first cultures. I hope you have a chance to check it out. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. RTI news, programs, pictures, and more online at english.rti.org.tw. Check it out. Check it out. Lost in translation. That's where I've been for the last several weeks. I've been working on the subtitles for a major motion picture here in Taiwan. And now I can't tell you the name of the movie or even what it's about, but I can give you some insight into my experience as the English voice of a Chinese language film. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's Ear to the Ground, I invite you to join me in getting completely, hopelessly, and exhilaratingly lost in translation. An Ear to the Ground Wow. <laughs> 
The alien sounds of an editing machine fill a small post-production studio somewhere in Taipei. I can't disclose my location because it's all very hush-hush. Taiwanese directors, like Hollywood directors, are quite secretive about their upcoming work. Of course, they don't want anything leaked, but I'm guessing more than that, they don't want anyone to see anything that's unfinished. They are, after all, artists. I consider myself an artist, too. Although a translator is definitely different from a director, we don't actually create the contents, although we often have to get creative. Our best work is when people completely forget that they're reading subtitles. It's sort of like being on a chorus line. There's not a whole lot of room for individual expression. So this is how it works. First, we watch the movie once from start to finish just to get the feel for it. And then you go scene by scene piecing together the dialogue. Now you have to take liberties, because if you're too faithful to the original, it'll be too hard to read. Or, even worse, it won't sound like spoken English. Now from time to time, you'll come across words and concepts that just aren't really expressed in English. Things like destiny, which is, you know, a completely different concept in Chinese than it is in English. There are also visual cues in the movie that foreigners don't pick up on so quickly. And sometimes you have to weave those into the dialogue. But then there's the problem that Chinese always takes up so little space, while the English can go on and on and on. And sometimes you have to flip sentences to make them sound more like English. But then, if there's a punchline, it can come too quickly and your audience laughs too early. Often, you do what you think is a pretty great job of translating, only to discover the mistakes when they begin pasting the subtitles up on the screen, one by one. And then there's the question of how long should the subtitles stay on the screen? Do you let them linger for a little added effect? Do you let them fade away when it's lyrics to a song instead of cutting out directly? These are things you never think of until you're actually sitting there in a post-production studio watching your own words being matched up to somebody else's movie. Oh, the agony of it all. Did you make a mistake? Are your lines true to the spirit of the dialogue? Will something be... God forbid, lost in translation. Now, the most amazing thing is when the scene feels exactly the same regardless of whether you're listening to the Chinese or reading the English. And if it's a great movie and you've done your job well, sometimes you can almost feel the emotion of the actor or the director or the writer welling up inside you. And then you know that you've become the English version of that individual. I remember several years ago translating the heart-wrenching lyrics of an aboriginal folk musician here in Taiwan. And the process of translating brought me so deep into the lyrics and the experience of the musician that I could feel his pain. And I actually wept for days and days until I had finally finished the translation. Now, there's no tears today as I watch them put the subtitles on the film, but I do get goosebumps in places, and I know that I've done my best. But it was worth it to get lost all over again, somewhere halfway between Chinese and English. With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan.
pull yourself together already. It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast, and this is Ellen Chu, and this is a snowy Andrew Ryan. Oh, okay, snowy, snowy. I hope that you are a snowflake. I love snowflakes. <laughs> Snow- yeah, that doesn't mean anything very nice anymore. I know <laughs> you're a flake. I'm a flake. No, <laughs> that's not much better either. Okay, I think uh, maybe we'll just stop right there. All right. Uh, I was saying snowy because. Uh, well, this coming Monday is the beginning of a two-week micro-season called Big Snow. Oh, hard to imagine. But in Beijing, my friend actually made a post saying that the first snow came out. Really? Mm-hmm. It's already started to snow in Beijing? Yes. I think in the northeastern United States, it snowed like a couple weeks ago. Oh. Nuts, right? Nuts. Mm, totally nuts. The seasons are off, Ellen Chu. And, you know, I, we couldn't feel winter at all. Not in Taiwan. Right? No. I was still in like short sleeve and shorts. Yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty hot the last pretty couple of days. Hot, pretty right. hot. Pretty mm-hmm. hot, just like us. I know. <laughs> so in today's feast, we're going to be talking about a food which is related to, that is related to snow. Shaved ice? No. Okay. That's actually a great suggestion. I know. We should do that some year. See? Well, well, when when snow is officially gone from Taiwan, we'll do shaved ice. Okay. That's, oh, now I'm sad. You're oh. sad you didn't do that, right? I'm also sad about the fact that someday there's probably not going to be any snow in Taiwan. Mm, well, there ain't no <laughs> snow in Taiwan, Taipei. But, not right you know, now. Not yeah. right now, but probably on Yushan. Uh, Jade Mountain, he, not yet. Hohanshan. Hohanshan. I think not it doesn't yet. snart, snart snowing. Snart. It doesn't start stowing until... December? January, I think. Or January, yeah. Yeah. Um, we did remember that year when it snowed in Taipei? Yeah, in Taipei City. I like, was, it was snowing around my park. I saw snowflakes from my balcony. Wow. That's crazy. I, I mean, know. this is a place that doesn't have indoor heating. Right. So, that's kind of a big deal. I have indoor heating. You have what? Yeah. <laughs> who, are, who are you? Why, why did I not know this? I would have gone to your house. Okay, <laughs> come to my house if it snows. Okay? okay, I might have to do that. All right. So yeah, shall we check out what's on our menu today? Okay, let's do it. All right. Today's menu in our first course will tell you a story from ancient China about a boy called Kong Rong who gave up his pear. Plus, we'll introduce you to a pear that's so juicy you might not want to give it up. Mm. Oh, these are snow pears, yeah. Kong Rong Rong Li. Yeah. Also, in our second course, I'm going to head into the Feast Means West Test Kitchen to steam up some rock sugar snow pears, which is the perfect antidote for the seasonal cough. Okay. And in the third and final course, we'll be sampling these pears right here in our studio. Are you all ready? Of course. I'm always ready for that. Okay. We're going to start up and fire everyone up with a song. And this song is called 快让我在雪地上撒点儿耶 Okay, so it's just like, okay, hurry, let me go wild. Go wild. In the snow. In the snow. Right. Wow. Li <laughs> hao. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I, I thought this was a song. I, I know Ame has also sung this song before. Really? Yeah. I don't remember. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll find out. I'll look it up right now and find out um, who the original singer is. All right. And uh, get back to you in just a moment. All righty. Okay, so that song we just played there for you. Uh-huh. So quick, let me go and wild in the snow. Get wild in the snow, okay? <laughs> the original singer was a Chinese rock star, Cui right. Jian, right? In 2003. That's right. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, yeah, and many people have covered it since then. Now, Li Ronghao, of course, is also a singer from China. Mm. So, he's got that, he's got that, that vibe, that, right. that Chinese rock vibe. The rock vibe. Yes. So, today we are talking about snow. Kongrong shares the pair. Kongrong shares the pair. Well, actually, we're also talking about snow pairs. Okay. What kind of a... Well, let's tell the story, and then you can tell me whether or not you think it was a snow pair. All right. So it was long, long time ago in China. There was a boy, very smart boy, called Kong Rong. Kong Rong, like right. he, he had the same last name as Confucius. Right. And he was so clever that he was able to recite many poems even when he was four years old. Hmm, okay, quite smart. Smart kid, yeah. But he was known not especially for being smart, but for his respect and love for his brothers, okay? Ooh. Conron had five older brothers and a younger brother. One day his father bought some pears and picked out one of the biggest and the best pears and gave it to Conron. Seeing this, the boy shook his head and instead chose the smallest one. His father was surprised and asked, why did you take the smallest one? He answered, because I am a younger brother. The biggest one should be for my eldest brother. His father asked again, but you have a younger brother. You are older than him. Again, the lad replied, yes, I am older than he, so I should leave the bigger ones for him. On hearing these words, the father was greatly satisfied and smiled happily. And the story of Konron sharing the pair in Trifu, I think that's a place name in Shandong, right? Yes, that's right. Right. Spread quickly throughout the land and has been handed down from generation to generation. Many Chinese parents still use it as a perfect example when they're teaching their children thoughtfulness. Okay. Thoughtfulness. So, so I always just assume that like the elders always get all the good stuff in traditional culture. But actually, they're suggesting that, like, the, the point at which he said he was going to give the pears to his younger brother, that's also good? That's also a good thing to do? Yes. I think, you know, in Chinese culture, you're supposed to let the youngest, right? Like, the older brothers do do something, and then if you're in a fight with your siblings, they always say, rang di di, rang mei mei, okay? Because mm, you should know better because you're the older brother. Right. Or older sister. Right. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Well, Kongro sounds like a smart kid. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just a very kind-hearted, you know, kid. Yeah, thoughtfulness. very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he, he got extra um, pairs because he was so thoughtful. Probably, probably, you know, the story didn't <laughs> write out, you know, the end yeah. where the dad bought like six more and gave it to him. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's the story of the kids waiting for the marshmallows. It's like you give them a marshmallow and you say like, if you can wait like 10 minutes, we'll give you like three more. Right. And most kids are like, nah, I'm just going to eat the marshmallow. Right. <laughs> right. So he was the kid that could wait. I know. So he got more, right? <laughs> At any rate, so I think it's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, when I told a friend of mine that I was going to do um, a show about pears, mm-hmm. about snow pears, they suggested that I introduce this idiom. Apparently, everybody okay. learns it in school, yeah? Right. I think, you know, all kids learn it. And then even though if they don't learn it in school, I think their parents would tell them this, you know, mm. as an example. So what kind of a pair do you think it was that his father gave him? It should be one of those, you know, chi- those like... Crystal pears, crystal like a Chinese pear. pear. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the show today, I'm going to be actually serving you up a snow pear, mm. which I think is a very interesting uh, type of pear. A crystal snow pear. Crystal snow pear. We okay. call it shitty, right? Yes. 
Um, now, these are also called yellow pears sometimes, mm-hmm. and they grow naturally uh, in places from Southeast Europe to Western Asia. Um, of course, they grow them in the high mountains of Taiwan as well. Mm. Uh, I bought a very expensive one. Wow. For our show today for How you. How expensive? It cost me 169 NT. Wow. Uh, so that's, what is that, $5 US? Uh, roughly. Roughly, yeah. Roughly. It's like almost six now. Yeah, almost $6 now. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Um, and it's a big pear, huge pear, actually. Is it as big as your head? Not quite as big as my head, because I have a fat head. <laughs> Bigger than your fist? Bigger than my fist. Okay. Probably your fist and my fist together is still not wow. big enough. Wow. Actually, maybe not. Depends okay. on how small we make our fists. Okay. Um, but it was interesting, because we also were selling, like, Western pears. Mm-hmm. And those were tiny. Those were the size of my fist. Right. And they were green. Um, and I, for a second thought of maybe making it with them. And then I was like, no, let's just do it with the original, with okay. the one. That with they, the traditional. The traditional one. Because it's supposed to have like re- uh, restorative properties. Right. If you eat it. You're so if you use the Western pear, it probably lacks something inside and then it doesn't work. <laughs> what are you saying, Ellen Chu? Right. You're saying Western things aren't as good. No, I'm just saying that different, you know, type of pear probably consists of different kind of like insides. That's true. Right? That is true. And also if we're talking about Chinese medicine, like mm-hmm. uh, maybe things different have different properties. Maybe right. eating the Western pear is going to, I don't know, do, do the opposite thing. Right. So, these pears can, you're usually eaten raw, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, as you have guessed, I'm going to be cooking one for the show today. Okay. Um, they have a very mild, sour taste, but they're actually mostly sweet mm. and very, very juicy. Okay. Um, and what else do we know about them? Uh, that we say that this is actually the largest variety of pear. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be up to... 1,500 or even 2,500 grams. That's 2.5 kilograms. That's heavy. That is super heavy. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine like carrying a couple of those to market? Um, and then I think a lot of these uh, came to Taiwan because the Japanese brought them here during the Japanese period in Taiwan. Mm. Um, and then the time when they grow, the harvesting time is between mid-November and the end of December. Mm. So, you can keep them in the fridge for up to six months. Wow. Um, And they're good for relieving a cough and reducing excessive phlegm. Wow. Phlegm. 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 So, there we go. That's a little look at uh, snow pears. Mm -hmm. When we come back in our second course, I'm going to be going to the Feast Meets West Test Kitchen. All right. Can can you like pretend to have a cough to give me a (coughs) motivation? (laughs) (laughs) Is that good? <laughs> That's very good, Ellen. Okay, you. you're welcome. So then you can, after you eat it, you can tell me whether Everybody's it works. Everybody's like putting on their mask right now <laughs> in front of the radio. It's okay. We're social distancing. We are okay. social distance. Okay. Don't um, worry about it. I'm looking forward to you sampling it. I'm, I'm curious to see how it turns out. Okay. All right. So a song. And the song is called 再见雪梨. And this is Goodbye, Sydney. And this is by Huang Lan Bai. We'll be back in just a moment with more on the feast. All right. 
还是无言的被挽留，为何脸上的表情总是有一点哀愁？握你的手，总是感到一丝寒冷的血如走到尽头，才发现一切的一切都没有用。是否在对我说？是否你要轻轻地离开我，才对我说，我们曾经有的那段烈火，下一个寒冬。你说也许不会再见面了，怎么心落？有些事情不是当下就能懂。You're listening to Feast Meets West. Second course. We are back on the second course of today's Feast Meets West,、uh, and I, Andrew Ryan, am now in the test kitchen. And today, I am going to be making something for Ellen Chu, and it is the perfect antidote for the seasonal cough. Now, what I'm going to be making is a steamed, sugary snow pear. And so basically, I bought this beautiful、uh, and very expensive snow pear,、uh, which is about the size of my two hands cupped together.、Uh, so it's kind of a big ball-shaped pear.、Uh, and I'm just starting off by washing the pear and、uh, rubbing it with a little bit of salt、uh, and rinsing it off. So then I、uh, am going to slice off the top of the fruit,、uh, and then. Uh, now I'm just cutting into the center of the pear and removing some of the fruit from the center of it. So now I'm just dicing that fruit up and setting aside in a dish. Now inside of the pear, I am going to、uh, return some of the、uh, chopped up pear and also、uh, a couple of whole red dried dates. Uh, also, just a couple cubes of rock sugar to give it a little bit of、uh, sweetness, and a sprinkling of goji berries. And now I'm just、uh, covering up the fruit,、uh, putting the lid back on the pear,、uh, and I'm placing it inside a bowl and then on a rack inside of a steamer.、Uh, and this is a Taiwanese、uh, 大桶电锅 so it's kind of like a, a, a special steamer, a cook pot. Uh, and I'm going to pour two bowls of water along the outside, not into the dish with the pear, and that is what is going to steam it. I'm putting the lid on. I'm just going to steam that now for about、uh, 20 to 30 minutes, and when it's done, I'm going to take a toothpick and poke the fruit with the toothpick to see if it goes through nice and easily. And if it does, then it is ready to eat. Now, unbeknownst to me, I have skipped one step in the process of making this snow pear. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I will say that、uh, we're going to have a little discussion about it when we return in our third course. But first, another song. This is called Shiritsuka, Sydney song. Of course, snow pears and Sydney, Australia, are the exact same characters. Shirit. This is by Huang Zhenxin and Abibai Band. Much more to come. 
including a potential disaster when the peace continues. And Lysini, and Lysini, Tala Tai Tai, Gabri Hanki, and Lysini, and Lysini, Tai Dolia Sang Fun Shang Shi, and Lysini, and Lysini, O Chiu Gang in Chin Dong Sen Chi, and Lysini. Kitchen with Andrew Ryan, rubbing the pear, washing the pear, and also <laughs> chopping off the top. Oh my god, <laughs> she's looking at the recipe. <laughs> okay, and removing the center of the fruit, place them into a dish and okay. dice the fruit. All right, all wow. right, wow. <laughs> and he put one whole date in there, several cubes of rock sugar, a sprinkle of gogi berry, and water almost to the top. Okay, just sample it already. <laughs> I wanted to see what was the ingredients, okay? Mm-hmm. Mmm. Oh, the sugar didn't melt. <laughs> <laughs> I taste the sugar. Um, I do taste the date going into the pear. Mmm. Mm. Interesting taste. Interesting. Interesting, huh? You look um you look perplexed. <laughs> um well, you know, there is gogi berry in there. There is you don't like gogi? Oh okay. Goji berries. Goji berries. I would focus mostly on the um pear itself. Mm-hmm. I think the pear itself is the part that gives you the Chinese medicine feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, you're seeing a pear and then you you have this all complex taste to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's it's value added. Yes. Or something like that. 
<laughs> so would you make this if you had a cough? No, I'd probably just go to the doctor. <laughs> We're being brutally honest. Would I, you make this if you had a cough? No, I just have peepaw gall. Just peepaw gall. <laughs> She's got her, what is that? Peepaw is a loquats. Loquats, right? Loquats syrup. They have the loquats syrup like available everywhere. All, all the convenience stores. Yeah, I mean, it's more of a dessert than anything. I'd probably just eat the, the, I would eat it fresh. Yes, I would eat it just fresh because my kids, I don't think they would like this taste. They don't like the, the, the goji berries. The and goji the, berries and the, and the red dates. dates. Actually, I had another recipe where I only had sugar rocks. Rock sugar? Yeah. Oh, you just, it, you just put the sugar in there right. with my it? Right, my mom used to do that when and we had cough. I think, so here's the thing. Like with this, I think you actually need to cook it longer. Right, so it should be like softer, so, right? Totally mushy, right? Right. But it's interesting because I cooked it longer than they said to cook it for. And the test is, is that you take a little toothpick and you prick the side. And if it goes straight in, then it's done. And it was done. You could totally stick a toothpick right in that. Right. Go straight but through it. But the that everything was still chunky and chunky. crunchy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I don't know if it's because I had such a big pair. I mean, it's a big pair. It is a big pair. It's a big pair. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What's the problem? I'm not sure. I think the, <laughs> I thought that the rock sugar would melt. Like and it, would it like didn't, go, right? Oh, you know what? I forgot something. Water. I forgot the water. You it, forgot to put water in there, right? I forgot to put water in there. It's supposed to stew. Right. That makes sense. There now. must be some trouble. So there's not as much liquid as there should be. Right. It should be boiling in there. Right. So, you know, the gogi berry and red day should be more mild. The yes. Taste. It was, it's pretty strong in here. Pretty strong in there. Pretty strong. Pretty strong. So it needs to like melt down so, more. So, you know, I think all my phlegm is just going to like clear up right in a second. So, see, your cough is gone. I this, haven't heard you cough since you like ate it. This is like extra dose or It's so OD. good. Oh, I, you overdosed on pear. <laughs> on our special sugar snow pear. Sugar snow pear. Right. It's so funny when we both, because it looks pretty, right? I know, it looks pretty. And then we both bit into it and we're like, hmm. Because I had it before and then I remember it was kind of like baby food. Yeah. It's like mushy. Mushy. And then there are some, still some liquid and my mom would ask me to drink it first. Make you drink the liquid, right? Right. And the one that I served you was not baby food. It was adult food. It was just crunchy. You know, you should add to it. What? Instead of adding water, just milk? pour milk, like mijo, oh. rice wine. <laughs> you just, you know, steam yourself cocktail. right out of that cold. You're going to have some, like, cocktail. Cocktail. Right. Yeah, cocktail hour on the feast, folks. I know. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, but... It's good. I have to give you credit. He bought this expensive pair, right? Even though he did it wrong. Okay. (laughs) You know, he made a major boo-boo by not (laughs) adding water. But Um, we give him credit. Even though he totally screwed it up. (laughs) We We, appreciate the fact that he spent a lot of money. (laughs) He just screwed up this precious (laughs) snow crystal pear. One of the most expensive and prized fruits in all of Taiwan. And he screwed Screwed it it up. up. (laughs) Did you add alcohol in there? No, I should have. giggly in there. I feel like, you know, so, so, okay, so I have to explain this. My personality is I'm like a very, like, I'm a gangster. He is a a gangster and I need to translate this as anal. Anal. Totally (laughs) anal. And so, like, 
usually I try to keep it together until the very bitter end. Okay. And then when it's like when it's impossible to keep it together, I just let it go. I let my hair down. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it used to be difficult for him to let his hair down. Okay, but let me tell you, over the years... He is just letting it out. Because she's worn me down, folks. She's worn me down. Okay. Oh, there's no going back. All right. There is no. But going I still back. give you the credit, okay? Okay. Well, you know, we learn from our mistakes. Yes, we learn from our mistakes. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, remember to add the water. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll have the full recipe below in the right. show notes so you can do it properly. Okay, properly, properly. All right. Okay, proper is the word. So, proper address, P.O. Box 123-109, Taipei, Taiwan. And our email address, A-N-D-R-O-O at rti.org.tw. And next Saturday on our feast, please join us for a look at Jiang Shilou de La. So that means ginger, the older the hotter. The hotter. Like well, Ellen Chu. Right. Okay. Jiang shi lao de la. Lao de la. Okay. So it, it also has a meaning saying that, you know, if you're older, you have more experience. Yes. Like us. Yeah. Like new DJs. They can't compare. Cannot Come compare. Jiang shi lao de la. Jiang shi lao de la. Okay. They cannot, like, do all these multitasking right here like Andrew does. That's right. <laughs> uh... But they might remember the water. <laughs> well, you know. They probably go by the book, follow the recipe. You know, I was getting like, creative. I know. He he is just being creative, okay? Yes. He remembers the waters. <laughs> I cannot keep the creativity back. Right. All okay. Right. Final song today. All right. Is also related to let snow. snow. Let it snow. Not that one. No? Okay. <laughs> That's let it go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> If I say it's let us know, it's let us know, okay? Okay, this is a very special edition of (laughs) Feast Meets West. I'm going to keep this one for the books. Um, This is by Kylie Minogue. For Feast Meets West, I'm Andrew Ryan. And John Shalala, Ellen Chu. (laughs) Bye-bye. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. Since we've no place to go Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow It doesn't show signs of stopping And I've brought some corn for popping The lights are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really hope Goodbyeing, but as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.